0: you all join me in prayer. Almighty Father, as we come before you now on this final day of the feast, we we're so grateful that we could come together and to honor you. The days you've given us are so important, and we need to understand the, the gravity of being faithful to you through them. And now we ask for a special blessing on all who are here, all who have been watching or are watching, and that they would understand maybe a little bit more of your word as we go through the scriptures on this topic. We pray that you'll continue to guide us and be with us and be with our families and for those that will be traveling home and guide them, keep them safe so they can all join again in another feast. We pray your spirit would work within each of us to help us to grow and to understand in this prayer we ask in Nasha's name, hallelujah. And you may be seated. I thought that was a very appropriate song we just sang for this day as Yahshua was resurrected and became the uh, wave chief. We'll talk about that later. You know, unlike the modern communication, uh, communion ritual, the Feast of Unleavened Bread reminds us that we should not stop with something like communion, or more importantly, the right one, Passover, but must continue forward. And Yahweh planned it that way. That's why he's got us here today. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Messiah, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, repentance from dead works, and of faith toward Yahweh. Hebrews 6.1. Once we put that leaven out of our lives, we change how we understand his word. We work to that point. We have to advance to a higher spiritual level as we look to complete the walk of truth. And this this walk increasingly contrasts with what we see in the world. And as the world goes this way, we should be going this way. And even though we have to live in a world of the biblically clueless, you know, for the first time, I saw that a survey, I think it was last week, that said now only 50% of Americans have a faith. Whereas it wasn't that long ago, I remember seeing a survey that says there was 80-some percent of Americans have a faith. We're seeing the results. We're a nation today unable to take right judgment, committing abominations that... Uh, or a stench in Yahweh's nostrils. Paul prophesied what was happening in Romans one twenty-eight, And even as they did not like to retain Elohim in their knowledge, don't even want to talk about it, don't bring it up, Elohim gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Rep, reprobate. emos" in the Greek, meaning rejected or worthless. Living lives that are rejected or worthless. No wonder so many aren't happy today. A clear picture of our day was prophesied in Isaiah 59, and I rarely quote from the Living Bible, but this one is primo. I I couldn't find another translation that says it better in terms of what we're seeing now. Our courts oppose the righteous man. Fairness is unknown. Truth falls dead in the streets, and justice is outlawed. Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who tries to uh, a better life is soon attacked. Yahweh saw all the evil and was displeased to find no steps taken against sin. It says it all, I think, for our day. Yahweh's feasts open up a whole new level of understanding, not only from coming here and interacting with brethren, but just the truth that they project is amazing. They tell the complete plan of salvation. If you ever thought about it that way, take one feast, go on to the next one, you have a plan. It's all laid out. From Yahshua's sacrifice for sin to the first fruits growing in truth to the return of Yahshua the Messiah and the resurrection of everyone at the final day. Look at all the countless planets possibly could be inhabited out there. Now, he doesn't tell us you know, what it's all for, but we can certainly have a good idea. There are 80 billion planets that the scientists have been able to detect that are in the Goldilocks zone, neither too cold nor too hot, just right for life. Isn't that something? They all have a sun, like our sun, and they revolve around the sun. They're just sitting there right now, and I believe... Void, nothing going on there, not yet. But we have, uh, someday we'll see, I hope. And uh, Luke 1.33 says, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there shall be no end. Yahweh says there are more stars, meaning more suns, I suppose, than the sands of the sea. And not only has he every one of them numbered, but he's given a name to everyone. If that doesn't just blow your mind, find that in Psalm seven four, Numbered and named. You ever walk along the seashore and look at all the sand? It's like endless. And how many do we have out here on this earth? How many seashores? More s- uh, stars or suns than those sands of the sea. Many <coughs> teach that if you aren't born again in this life, you will not see salvation. So they're out to convert everybody as fast as they can. Well, this feast teaches differently. With first fruits at its core, this feast is about calling the first fruits. And which will continue on into the next feast too. The feast teaches that we know Yahweh is not calling everyone now. He has called you and me or we wouldn't be here. I truly believe that. I believe we're, we're being called. Following the Passover, Leviticus 23 teaches that the next seven days are called the days of unleavened bread. And of course, this is the final one. And it's also found in the 12th chapter of Exodus. The lessons of this feast is that after accepting the shed blood of Messiah as our Passover, we must strive now on to perfection strive for perfection to try to live sin-free lives we take the unleavened bread and we apply it to our lives we'll talk about that a little more another purpose of the holy days is to keep the believer continually engaged in yahweh's will continually coming and worshiping yahweh and to bring his or her lives in line with it we're We're creatures of habit, and we have to get into a habit, or sometimes we just forget. You ever forgotten a dental appointment or something other, and you just completely slipped your mind because you got so many things going on? But we're creatures of that habit, and Yahweh has to have us in a routine. That's why I believe he gives us seven moadim, seven appointed times, so we have a routine that we follow. And for the believer, that routine is a lot more important than the routine of the worldly life. Historically, whenever man forgets Yahweh's holy times, he inevitably falls into error. Without the knowledge of the holy purpose of Yahweh, man goes awry, not only in his behavior, but also in his thinking. And the farther you get away, the farther away you go, typically. Look at the spiritual decay of the northern kingdom under Jeroboam. When he decided to have a new, different feast, draw people up there, Dan and Bethel. To draw the people up there, he he uh, figured out, I'm going to have a tabernacles a month later. And I'm going to do things like appoint priests of the lowest of the classes. When Yahweh says just the opposite. You know, the average guy out in the street doesn't know anything. He made a priest out of him. So, that's craziness. So, Israel's apostasy, as you would expect, was very rapid. The northern ten tribes never had a single righteous king, not one. They weren't blessed. Look at the apostasy in the first couple of hundred years following the apostles, when Joshua had gone to be back with his father. Look at the apostasy that started then, with the uh, with the church, and making all these these rules and regulations, making all these. Uh, Conferences come together, you know, and let's hammer it out. Constantine obviously didn't know what he's doing. He had to have people come in and vote. Let's vote on a doctrine. Let's vote on a teaching. So that's what they did. And didn't follow the scripture always, mostly not. They just did what the church wanted to do. These feasts show a calling out of special people, not the entire world, just a small. Minority like Israel, Yahweh didn't choose them because they were greatest. He chose them because they were the least of people. But then He makes them great. He does that. He takes the smallest and makes it great. Takes the weakest letters of the Hebrew alphabet, makes the greatest name in the universe. He's really amazing how He works that way. You know, we know the. Uh, he did that through many wars and so so forth. You thought they were lost. You thought, well, they're not going to do it. You know, here's Israel, all right? He's got the massive Egyptian army behind him. Greatest army, one of the greatest armies, at least in the world at that time, to their back and they got the sea in front and the mountains and all that around. What are they going to do? They're trapped. Nothing, no big problem for him. Opened up the sea and they walked through it. Used that same water to defeat the Egyptians. uh, Yahweh has a, an amazing way of doing things. We can't change the world. We can only reach those called by Yahweh, whose eyes are open to his truth. It's all we can do. And until that time comes, when Yahshua comes back to this earth, we keep trying and trying and trying. We had this feast, an outing to, uh, Brother Mike. Michael had an outing to, just to see how we can evangelize the people on the street. And, uh, that's some interesting stories about that he should have him tell you before you go home, but uh you know people's eyes have to be opened. How do you reach them? How do you do that? Um, a lot of people have a lot of questions um, and they would like to know, but they're afraid to you know get involved or they're afraid to ask and if they ask their well i'm not going to talk about their minister, but it's 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 pretty much a dead end if they ask him. He doesn't know. And to recognize the need to follow Yahshua in what he did and taught. They want to, but they don't know how. Some lady asked me, oh, I want to study the Bible. What do I do? Do you just start in Genesis and start reading? Do I get a topical reference and, you know, look up topics and study those topics? I said, hey, whatever works. Whatever gets you in the Bible, that's, that's what you want to do. The Messiah, the one Christianity claims to follow, is all about the feasts. How in the world could they be missed in our day? Think about it. Yahshua's overarching mission in John 4.34, Yahshua said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He desired to finish Yahweh's work. That's what he was sent to do. Yahweh sends him, he goes out. gets some people following him, 12 disciples follow him, and then they replicate the work. He wanted to finish Yahweh's work that was started in Genesis 1, not trash the Old Testament and start a new faith. How could they mess that up? Peter in 1 Peter 2.21 told us that Yahshua is our example. We follow him in what he taught and what he did. It's not rocket science. You just have to follow it and be humble enough to do that. For even here unto where you call because Messiah also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Do what he did. Teach what he taught. Understand how he taught. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So he obeyed his father in everything. Everything he obeyed Yahweh. Some say we need to be a little less resolute about our teachings you know, from the Old Testament. And focus more on Yahshua. And therein lies the hugest, largest incongruity ever, inconsistency, because the precepts of the Old Testament is exactly what Yahshua was teaching. He didn't have any other Bible. Neither did the disciples. Paul hadn't written his letters yet. So they can't go by that. They got to go by what they called the scriptures was the Old Testament, the Tanakh. But you need to emphasize love like Yahshua did. Translation, just just love him and every obligation goes out the window. Love is one of the most misunderstood of his teachings. Let's let John straighten out the concept that many use as a dodge. 1 John 2, 3 to 7, and hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that says I know him and keeps not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keeps his word... Whoso keeps his word, in him verily is the love of Elohim perfected. There's the love. Hereby know that we are in him. He that says he abides in me, read, have a personal relationship with him, common term, ought himself also to walk even as he walked. It's, it's pretty clear. How do we walk? Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. There again, teaching from the scriptures. The old commandment is the word, which you had from the, heard from the beginning. Literally, keeping his word is emulating Yahshua's teachings, his example, things that he did. He didn't walk contrary to anything Yahweh gave him. Yahshua kept the feasts and Sabbaths. He never switched over to different days. He honored his father's hallowed name in his model prayer. He did no sin. I would have loved to just follow him around, wouldn't you? People say, "What you know, if you could live in any era you, you could, where would you want to live? When would you want to live? I'd like to live right there watching Yahshua in action. Seeing how he interacted with the world and effectively conquered all the doubts and fears that people had. He had no sin. He said in Matthew 5.18 that it would take the complete dissolving of the universe before the law passes away. It looks like the universe is still here. So it looks like the law is still active. Complete universe. Yahshua kept his Sabbath and feast days. He never switched. Passover pictures the forgiveness of past sins, Romans 3.25, while the Feast of Unleavened Bread that follows the Passover portrays coming out of sin and error as we examine our beliefs, examine our teachings, are we right, you know, do we have something more to learn? And nobody has it all. Nobody has it all wrapped up. No church, no individual, nobody. We're all learning. We're still learning. Sometimes the learning just is in fine-tuning what we know. One reason regular fellowship during any time, Sabbath, feasts, is so necessary that we can make regular course corrections by bouncing things off of others. Someone who had had the same understanding before and then found out differently. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, you don't get it. Read this verse, a verse you hadn't considered in that context. Oh, yeah, you're right. Man, I'm glad you saved me from that bunny trail. That's kind of what we do when we talk together in fellowship. We need to want to live his truths and not just confess them. And so we do actively reach out to others and also learn from others. And learn from his word, most importantly. But that's what it's all about. Discuss things in real time. Bounce them off. Those who have maybe a little more knowledge, maybe they're more seasoned in the truth. Leaven permeates completely. When Israel was in Egypt, you know, they were there hundreds of years. They were saturated by false religious systems. The same when they were in Babylon. They picked up a lot of air in Babylon. You can still see it in some of the... Some of the teachings that aren't in Scripture. After hundreds of years in Egypt, Israel did what the Egyptians did. That's, that's the nature of man, do what the majority does. So much so that they forgot Yahweh and had to be reintroduced to him through Moses. And Moses need to, had to have a confirmation of his name, even, because he, you know, things get lost, things get forgotten. So he began by reaffirming his name in Exodus 3.15. His name is fundamental to who he is. Don't let him say, well, you know, names are all the same. Name doesn't mean anything. Uh, He knows who I mean, all those arguments. His name is his identity. And that's all about who he is, what he expects, and how he lives. It is important. Obeying the one you worship is fundamental to walking the narrow way. Now, when it came to leaving Egypt, Israel's (laughs) Freshly mixed dough didn't have time to rise. We all know the story. Didn't have time. They, they had to go. They, they used sourdough, I guess, mostly. I don't think they have little packages of, what's that, yeast? <laughs> little red. I remember, I remember my grandmother making bread. Oh, my goodness. So you get that yeast out and just start pouring things in. And the best thing you've ever had in your life is almost like, I don't know what it's like. You can't compare it to anything. It was just terrific. We go down to visit her. She was about 50 miles away, and by the time we hit the sack, we had consumed all four loaves she had made (laughs) preparing for us, and it was so good. But anyway, they didn't have time, so they had to start a new life free from the corrupting influence of of this uh, in Egypt. It meant they were about to embark on a quest for sincerity and truth, unconstrained by the influences of any other people of Egypt left behind. Pharaoh didn't like that idea. He didn't like the plagues either, so he finally said, oh, yeah, go. And then he got to thinking about it. Plagues were over. There goes my workforce. Let's go get them. So he you know, goes after Israel. We live in Egypt, ostensibly. The world influences us in powerful and insidious ways that we're not even aware of. The world has an adhesive way of sticking to us unawares. Ever been shopping in December and you come out and those crazy songs are ringing in your ears? Like, oh, no, you know. You know what I mean. Yahweh says to come out of the world and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. Take Lot, Abraham's nephew, Genesis 19. Lot was told to get out, to get out of Sodom, get out of. Gomorrah, well, he wasn't in Gomorrah, I guess, but Sodom, and uh, he was reluctant to go. Why? This was, we look back and we see the perversion. A couple of angels come down, and the Sodomites want to have relations with him. That's how perverted that whole city area had become. There were like five five cities there that were destroyed. But uh, he had grown so accustomed to it that, you know, this is my home. I can kind of overlook some things. Uh, Probably like, you know, frog in the water. It just gradually got worse and worse. I don't know. But uh, even though he didn't partake of it, he was unwilling to uproot and go somewhere else. Gross sin. Should have grossed him out, but this was his home, so he put up with it. Until the angel put his hand to his back and says, you're out of here. You don't know what's coming. You get out of here now. Yahweh says to come out of the world. We know what's coming. We can't get involved with the world. At least not like the world gets involved with the world. And lot like many of us know, they need to know the truth. And so we're giving it all we can, while we can, to understand Yahweh's commands. But there are those who will linger indecisively in a tug-of-war with the world. Some just wait for an excuse. They know, well, they show more care for the world, basically, than for Yahweh. That's what it amounts to. Let's face it. It's a faith test. Do you really have the faith to come out, to keep his feasts, to keep his Sabbaths every week? Do you really have the faith to do that? Yahweh says that ultimately... Your life will be an open record, and he's going to look at it. What's it going to be like? If you're standing there looking at it, you know, and you're seeing what you did, it's going to be so embarrassing, I'm sure. But we can be forgiven, and that's what all we can do. But Yahweh takes note of it, and we want his favor. We want to do what he asks us to do. The feast was a week-long test of faith. Leviticus 23 And on the 15th day of the same month is a feast of unleavened bread unto Yahweh. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. I hope everybody was eating at least some unleavened bread each day of this feast, because that's the command. In the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And then it says, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. Seven days in the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. This is the seventh day of the feast today. No work. how could Israel give offerings every day of the feast if they weren 't in attendance? Think about it. they had to give offerings each day. All animal offerings required the involvement of the offerer. He brought the animal he brought put his now these are the animal offerings put his hands on the head and killed the killed the beast and then the priest would take the blood and sprinkle it on the altar, the horns of the altar or the side of the altar, depending. He had to be involved in it. We have to be involved in our faith. We have the opportunity at his feast to assimilate truth into our lives. Unleavened bread signifies sincerity and truth as we feed on the pure bread. Yahshua the Messiah. John six forty eight says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So Yahshua fit the bill of unleavened bread, didn't he? By keeping the feast of unleavened bread every year, we show our obedience to Yahshua and what he did. And reminded of the power that sin has. Because that's the leavened bread, the, f- the things that lead to sin. So we realize how easy, really, how, how it is in our DNA, it seems, to fall away, to go a different direction. The fallen world. We risk being fall, fallen into the habit of breaking out his laws, of being disobedient. Being lax, letting things go. Oh, well, yeah, well. Sin can be insidious. It's, it's, it's ensnaring. It's, it's in us before we realize it. And so we got to always be watchful. I was once buying some cleaning products for the, the assembly. And uh, my wife, eagle-eyed Margie, says, hey, that bottle there has baking soda in it. I said, you got to be kidding me. And I was ready to pay for it. It almost got past me. And that's how leavening works. See, I wasn't thinking in the context of eating. I was in a whole other aspect. I was in the context of cleaning and not realizing there's leavening in that stuff too. Well, Sister Kathy was talking about, i forgotten exactly the, how this came about, but she was saying, we were talking a couple of years ago about drinking water. And the topic came up that, uh, you know, some drinking water, the purified water, has, has leavening in it for taste. You know, the mineral they put in, I guess it's baking soda. I, I don't know. And uh, we were kind of laughing about that. Can you believe it? And Sister Kathy goes and gets some bottles she has. You know, ah, this one has it too. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing uh, when you look at things that uh, we commonly are accepting of. You know, we get used to, and then we find out, uh uh-oh, i got to make a course correction here on this. But Paul says he strives for perfection. Once we accept that shed blood, we have to forsake all those things that uh, we were doing before that were against Yahweh's word and go on to perfection. And that's where this feast really takes us. We do more than take the emblems of a shed blood and broken body, but we next start to rid our lives, to do something more. See the, the communion service that I grew up in. I wasn't old enough to take it, I guess. But uh, you know, you took the communion. I think it was once a month. I don't remember. Maybe once a year. And that's it. And you go on living your life as normal. They don't realize that, <laughs> like our Passover, it's the start of a whole new life, a whole new direction. It's not the end. It's the start. It's the start. Look at leaven for a, for a moment. Why don't we remove it for a week and eat unleavened products? Well, if it typifies only sin, then we should never eat it, right? That only makes sense. We'd be careful to avoid all leavening at all times forever. Well, Leviticus 23, 17, we see that Israel was commanded to bring two wave loaves made with leaven. Now we're talking about Pentecost, the next feast, to offer to Yahweh. As a wave before him. Day of first fruits. Both the wave sheaf and the wave loaves offerings were presented before Yahweh so that he would accept it. They couldn't start the harvest until they have the, uh, the wave sheaf presented and weighed, probably more like this, before Yahweh. Well, today is that wave sheaf day. Once the first fruits of the harvest were in, were presented to Yahweh, then the barley harvest could start. Then you got the fifty-day count to Pentecost. It begins on this day as well. Leviticus twenty-three, fifteen. And you shall count unto you from the morrow, after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days. And you shall offer a meat offering unto Yahweh. So you count. Starting the first day of a Sunday that falls within the feast and make you know seven weeks plus one make fifty. That's the way he's got it designed. Yahshua said to Mary after his resurrection, Touch me not. Remember, he said, Touch me not. I have not yet ascended to my father. What it means is don't cling to me, don't hang on to me. I'm not done yet. I'm going somewhere. I'm not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father and to my Elohim and your Elohim. And that's in John 20, verse 17. In verse 19, he's back that evening, showing his disciples the holes in his hand, or wrists, basically. Uh, and doubting Thomas, you know, he, he had to have proof. It wasn't enough just saying he's, he's back, you know, he resurrected. So he gave him proof. So he had gone to the Father as the wave offering and then came back to the disciples. I think he's on earth in about 40 days, and then he finally resurrected permanently until he returns. Well, leaven was prohibited in the grain offering and in sacrifices to Yahweh. Nothing burned on the altar was to have leaven in it. Also, there's to be no leaven in the trespass offering or the Nazarite offering. This is all in the scriptures, Leviticus 2.11 and 7.12 and Numbers 6.15. So, the two wave loaves of Pentecost, however, were made with leavening, so we can't say that leavening is always bad. It was offered with two lambs, Leviticus 23.20. Leaven was also commanded in the peace offering consumed by the priests in Leviticus 7. Well, leaven has various properties, and I believe this is why Yahweh has it used for certain offerings. Yahshua gave the example of a woman who hid leaven and 3 measures of meal until all was leavened and there is one of the properties of leavening it spreads throughout the whole thing starts with a little lump they keep part of it back and they use that as a starter forgotten what my grandmother called it but starter dough or whatever it was and then they put that mix it up in the other the big dough and then it it, it goes throughout the, the yeast and there goes throughout the whole the whole loaf I'm getting myself really hungry right now. I'm going to shorten this a little bit. But uh, he said the kingdom of the heavens was like this example. If leaven is sin alone, then why would it be hidden in three meals, three measures of meal? Does the kingdom countenance sin? No, of course not. Of course not. But it, it had a purpose. And we're told to follow the examples of our Savior. You know, three... If you'd mark these down, these are very important. Three passages in the Word that says we follow our Savior in all that He does, or at least in follow Him in His life. First John two six, Romans eight twenty nine, and First Peter two twenty one. You may need that sometime when you're talking to somebody and you tell them, "Well, we we follow our Savior." Yeah, I know that, but where does it say that? You know, <laughs> so then you can quote them that. But anyway, in Luke two. Yahshua is at the age of 12. He came to his parents, with his parents, to the Passover, age of 12. I think they bar mitzvah them at age 13, so it was close. Um, note verse 43. When they had fulfilled the days, clearly showing the seven days of unleavened bread. Later, when Yahshua reached full maturity, he was still keeping the days of unleavened bread in Mark 14. Still keeping it. After Yahshua had died and ascended to the heavens, Luke still confirms the days of unleavened bread. Why? Why? He's gone. This has all been done away, I thought. Acts 12, 1. Now, about the time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the assembly, and he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword, and because he saw it please the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter. And those were the days of unleavened bread. So... Herod knew where they were. They were keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then he makes a mention of it here in Acts. Luke says, hey, he's writing the history of the apostles. He's talking about Unleavened Bread. There it is. as part of the history of the Bible. Part of the history of the, the saints, really. Why did he need to insert those were the days of Unleavened Bread? Because if they were unnecessary, they were eliminated in the, along with the Torah But they weren't, and that's why he mentioned it. They continued on. It's to show us the true assembly was still keeping these days, the days that most everyone else ignores. Where did Paul spend the days of unleavened bread before going to Troas? Acts 20, verse 6. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Obviously, he was there keeping them. Because he waited until the days were over, and then he starts sailing, and came unto unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days. The believers of Philippi were mostly Gentiles. So he's there teaching the Feast of Unleavened Bread with Gentiles. They were not Jews or Israelites, so to speak. There were some, because he would, he would go to these different assemblies, start these assemblies with a core of believers, which, of course, were the Jews at that time, converted Jews, who kept the New Testament, a belief in Yahshua. The believers at Philippi, then, were keeping those days. And he has to take off for Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks 50 days later. Took a while to get there. Mediterranean is kind of big. Boy, that is a beautiful body of water. We were uh, right at Tel Aviv and walking on the shore. You can walk. How far can you walk, Randy? Hundreds of feet, and you're still not over your head. And it is so clear. And you can see the fish. I mean, it's. And I found out that the the sand we talked about the sand of the sea, the sand of the shore of Israel, comes from Egypt, with the Nile when it scoots all that out into the ocean, and the ocean pushes it up, back up on the Israeli uh, coastline. So, it's pure. Oh man, is that sand nice? Because it's been washed. You know, it's been in the ocean. And anyway. Many think that the Sabbath and feast days ended at the, quote, cross. In 1 Corinthians 5, written 60 years after Joshua, Paul addresses the Gentile assembly at Corinth, and he says, to keep the feast of unleavened bread, verse 8. He compares the sin of fornication to leaven that will soon spread throughout the whole assembly if they weren't careful and is not rooted out. Well, we know the story of the Passover. I won't go into all that but they left on the 15th, the morrow after the Passover at midnight. And uh, morrow is the Hebrew meaning next day, but this was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it would have been under a full moon like we see now. Did you notice a full moon? Sister Rhonda and Brother Javon took pictures of a blood moon right at Passover. I missed it. Right outside my door, I mean... There it was. I, I don't know. It was, I thought it was kind of significant. We'll, he says we'll see signs in the sun and the moon leading up to his time. But there was a red, red moon. By the time it got to the top, it uh, was a little, little more whitish like it normally is. But uh, full moon. So they had, they had light. They had a natural flashlight to get them there through the wilderness. Acts 2.18, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of Yahweh come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. Paul told us that the history of Israel was for us, for our learning. So we can follow uh, the same things that uh, we're taught about, about them in uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 to 9. He says, your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And that's what it does. It spreads throughout. He said, you got to nip it in the bud. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Messiah, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Keep the feast? Where are you anyway? I mean, that was done when Yahshua, uh, we know the story. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. That's some of the, the meaning of leavening, malice and wickedness. But the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that's what unleavened bread means. Not the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul, of course, was also speaking metaphorically, become a new lump, unleavened, untainted by the world. The world's leaven. Yahweh wanted nothing corrupted in sacrifice, consumed basically by him. Nothing corrupted. Which says volumes about our worship today. We can't mix worship. We know something's wrong, we got to leave it and go to what is right. You can't play both, both fields. Some argue it doesn't matter how we worship Yahweh, so long as our hearts are right. Well, if your hearts aren't right, you're not going to worship Yahweh right. That's just the way it is. When he specifically commands us at least once a year to examine how we worship, to examine what we believe, throw out the wrong, take in the right, what does that tell us? That's the feast, which is what this feast accomplishes. How can our hearts be right if we neglect that? We have to be aware of the elements of deceit, the wickedness and, of the world, and not let it begin to ferment in our lives. And that's hard because sometimes we're coming from that direction and we got to drop it all. You know, it's so much harder to get rid of baggage than it is to learn something new. So much easier to learn it new the first time and don't have those old poles from former years. Unleavened bread, mat- matzah must be eaten for seven days, and no comates, which was found within the borders anywhere in the coast or land. So you've got to get rid of it. Well, obviously, we can't go to the borders of our nation, but we have to get rid of it in our property. That was the whole idea. We have to remove leaven from our property. A caller asked me once, he says, well, is it okay then to you know, put it out in the garage or maybe out in the shed? And then when it's all over, bring it back in. I said, do you know the lesson <laughs> of leavening? Do you know what it means? Turn to Exodus 12, 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. For whosoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that soul shall be cut off. Put away in the Hebrew it's a word meaning to cease, to exterminate, to destroy. When you get rid of that leavening, it's no longer to be existing. You Can't bring it back in. That defeats the whole message of it. Because once you put that leavening out, it's a spiritual lesson here. You don't go back to the old ways, see? Well, in the widest sense, it means anything that causes an expansion of dough in a chemical process, so that eliminates soda pop. You know, we used to not have soda pop. I didn't realize that's not a chemical process. They infuse the water uh, with uh, carbon dioxide, you know, carbonated water. That's all it is. There's no chemical action in that. You have to have chemical action, like it's in fermentation. That's what he's talking about. Uh, is it, uh, what's that cake, Sh- Siobhan? What? You know, the puffed up, that's done mechanically anyway. I don't remember the name of it. It's not It's not leavened. Whipped eggs aren't leavened, but they will kind of leaven things when you add them to, I understand, I'm not a cook. By no means am I a cook. But they, they, they. Uh, they, they whip up, and then people think, well, you know, that's got to be leaven. No, it's not. That's uh, it's when you whip the eggs, it does it So as pertaining to doctrine and to the physical qualities of, of leavening itself, we have to learn some lessons. First of all, what's leaven, leaven bread? What are its characteristics? Well, first of all, it's tough. I mean, I'm talking historically. I know we... we, <laughs> we uh, Make it a little easier to chew these days. But uh, historically, it was tough, like hardtack, like the Cowboys had on the range. And it's hard. It's It's tough and it's hard, and it's unpopular. What does that tell you about truth? It's tough, it's hard, and it's unpopular. That's unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. It's been said that the truth of the sacred name and his teachings is the most difficult of any Bible-based faith. I have to almost agree with that. There may be some cult out there doing weird things, but if you want to follow the Bible, this is a this is a tough way to walk. It's a narrow way. He says it's narrow. He said it's not going to be easy. Yasha said, "You're going to have a you're going to have a time of your life, but look at the rewards." I mean, eternity. There's no comparison with a few years in this life and eternity with him. So there's uh, something about (laughs) giving up church tradition, deviating, you know, right or left, and being careful not to do that. (laughs) So we continue on on the path that's hardly traveled, like old Robert Frost said, and that has made all the difference. All the difference. <coughs> Excuse me. Yahshua said in Matthew 5.11, 5, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You know, this is for all the marbles, and this is what we're striving for, the reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Hey, they went through it. We're following in their footsteps, Yahshua's footsteps. Why shouldn't we not be suffering some of the things that they had to? Persecution. But we don't set the course. Yahweh does, and we just follow it. That's what he wants to see. Are we willing to follow it? Or do we like the world and its pulls? Do we like to make it easy? You know, make, uh, sweeten it up a little bit. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things of the world as long as they're not against the scripture. But you can't dabble in the truth. It's all the way or not anyway. Luke 9, Yahshua said unto him, No man having put his hand on the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of Elohim. Plowman, when he's out there behind the horse or, or the uh, animal, he sets his sights on a point way up there. And he plows toward it so he can make a straight row. If he's looking back, you know. Who knows where that plow is going to go. That's what he's talking about. Don't look back. Don't look at, you know, the former life. If you look back, you get off track. And that's not, you know, that just leads to problems. The day is soon coming when many won't be able to stand for the truth. They'll be asked to choose between right and wrong, between Yahweh and their families or their friends. And they're going to be unwilling to give it up. I'll guarantee you it. There's going to be some it's sad. But like the rich young ruler, he couldn't give up his wealth. He couldn't give up his life status at that point. Yahshua talked to thousands, didn't he? I mean, he's, every day, you know, he probably, there's Peter, James, and John getting a little, hey, guys, get up, we're going. You know, and they're, they're snoozing away like they did at Passover. And, uh, you know, all right, yeah, we'll go. And I got more lessons, you know. And he goes and he talks to hundreds of thousands of people maybe uh within a matter of short time and he kept at it over and over and over but he was teaching them he had 12 of the closest men to teach who shared the joys the trials the disappointments and the joys of what they were doing uh people came back you know with that little uh demonstration down there with uh, you know, evangelizing, they came back I noticed they were all smiling and happy. It makes you feel good. when you can spread the truth. You know Yahweh's pleased. And yet Yahshua died alone. Alone. Nobody. Not even Peter. He denied him three times. You think Peter of all people. You know, no, I'm I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't with him. No, another gal comes up. Hey, Peter, I saw you too. No, I, and he swears. And then he realizes after the third time, Yasha's prediction, his prophecy that uh, he would deny him three times before the cock crew, he went out and he just went out sorrowful. He could not believe he did that. It's easy to do. You get caught up in the world. He was fearful, I'm sure. He was going to get punished like Yasha did. So Yasha died alone. Not one individual deemed Yasha as his Close, friend, enough to stick with him. When push came to shove, they all head for the border. But we got to make choices when it comes to the truth. Those hard choices, the sacrifices, they don't come when we enter the body. They come when we start to grow in spirit and truth. The journey isn't complete at baptism. The walk is hard, and it begins at baptism. That's what we try to impress on people that want to get baptized in the counseling. This isn't just a run-of-the-mill exercise. This is this is your life, most important you'll make. So are we ready to continue making the hard choices? Are we ready to become unpopular for the kingdom's sake? I guess we all can answer that ourselves. We've seen it. We've done it. But we can continue on. We're faithful. This year has shown how rapidly things can change in our in our culture we were riding high doing great within a month or two it all fell apart with the the disease and all of the things that were happening riding high to free falling overnight so that's how fast things can happen are we willing to sacrifice for the kingdom's sake that's what it's you know what it entails there's little that is more difficult and nothing that matters more little that is more difficult so having taken the Passover and had a great feast, let us go on to perfection. When you see something in the scriptures that's repeated, stand up and take notice. Let us go on to perfection. Let us go on to perfection. It's time to grow. Not just go, <laughs> sadly, for many of you, but time to grow as well. Our custom at the end of every feast is to recite the Aaronic blessing in number six. So if you'd all stand, we'll do that. May Yahweh bless you for having come here and heeded the call and been faithful to Yahweh's word. So there we read, and Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put the name of the children of Israel. Put my name upon the children of Israel and I will bless them. So may Yahweh's blessings be yours. It's been a wonderful time. I know my family and I have just, this is a, this is a highlight. In fact, it's becoming more like tabernacles. Have you notice that? <laughs> I think just the volume, if nothing else. But uh, that's great. Uh, let's all be faithful. Y'all be